All right, we're on our uh, number five message in our series of Ephesians. And since we've started, we've uh, gone over some foundational truths for Christians. We talked about how it's important to know that when you're a follower of Christ, that has put your faith in Jesus Christ, that you aren't just part of a club, but you're part of a family. We talked about how we're adopted, we're chosen and accepted. We also talked about how it's important that you realize how God feels about you because you are valuable and God has a purpose for you. Another thing that we learned is that sin is a death sentence, but God has raised us back to life. And his will is that you would allow him to remove the sin in your life so that you can have an abundant life. And last time we met together over the book of Ephesians, we saw how the church fits in to the new Christian life, that God works through the church, he loves the church, and his will is that you would love the church and be an integral part of the church. In chapter 4, which is where we're going to be today, Paul moves on with this theme, grow up, grow up. How many of y'all like to say that to people, right? Grow up, come on, grow up. Go ahead, point at somebody next to you and say grow up. (laughs) Grow up. When I was younger, I liked to pull pranks on people, which is, this is probably a punishment for that, but uh, I grew up in a church, and most of those pranks were pointed at the associate pastors, assistant pastors, all that kind of stuff. Uh, One night, we went and stuck hundreds and hundreds of forks in the lawn of one of our assistant pastors uh, in his front lawn there. Another time, we signed him up for a bunch of Mormon literature to be sent to his office, And then on Christmas, this is the icing on the cake, on Christmas Eve night, we parked the church bus in his front yard, which probably was Grand Theft Auto, but we weren't thinking about that at the time. Uh, But one time in particular, I remember it was late, it was probably about one in the morning, and we thought it would be a great idea to prank phone call one of the pastors. So back in those days, it was still the flip phones, right? You flip it open, and then we called each other. And when you have, I don't know if you ever noticed that before, but when you have two receivers of a phone next to each other, when you talk into it, it makes a horrible sound. And it's just a screeching voice. It kind of sounds a little demonic. It's weird. So we set these phones up. We, we put the phone on to block the number because we didn't want them calling back us. And we called one of the assistant pastors. And it voicemail picked up because it was like one in the morning. Obviously, that was what would happen. And I said, let me in, let me in. But it was even worse because the receivers were making all these screeching noises like, rah, rah. it was super weird. Well, we had a good laugh, right? We went to bed. Then the next morning, my mom said at about eight o'clock, she wake me up, woke me up and uh, she said the cops had called and the senior pastor had called because he wanted me to come and meet him at his office. Well, apparently this man of faith, uh, I guess you could call him that, uh, had drove around the whole entire night with his seven kids in his minivan because they were so scared of this person on their voicemail that said, let me in. And the cops had also said that technically we were making threats, although I asked very nicely, let me in. I didn't say I'm coming in. I told you all that to say this. I needed to grow up, right? I needed to grow up. Because I left one big part out of it. I was at least 19 at the time. (laughs) 
Well, Paul is pointing to us at the church in chapter 4, and he is saying, grow up. Let's look at verse 15. It says, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Here it says, Paul is saying, look, I love you guys, and because I love you, I want to tell you the truth. You need to grow up. He says, I've told you all these things about who you are in Christ, and now you need to grow into them. Because growing up is not just about knowing what to do, it's about actually doing it. Having the knowledge of the fruit of the Spirit is not as important as being a person that produces love, joy, and peace. In the verse before, verse 14, Paul elaborates. He says that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Paul's trying to warn these people here. He's saying, I need you to be solid Christians. I need you to act like a spiritual adult, spiritually mature, not tricked easy, spiritually, not believing everything that you hear. See, you should be able to listen to a televangelist and say, that's not right. Hey, what he's saying right now is not in the Bible. That isn't okay. We should be spiritually mature enough to be able to define those things. We shouldn't be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. We need to be a person that's not easily tricked, not tempted to believe every new Christian film that comes out or every new popular book, Miracles in Heaven, all that kind of stuff, where we take people's experiences and we believe them when it's not based on the Bible. But that means you have to know your Bible. Because the Bible is our sole authority for faith and practice. Not touching stories, not human experience. See, some people say, well, I believe in this because this is what happened to me. But the Bible uh, tells us the truth that experience is not the test of doctrine. Just because you say, I did it, so therefore I believe it, that's not what the Bible says to do. Because the Bible even goes as far to say that an angel could come and preach to you a new gospel. But if it contradicts with God's word, you need to throw it away. Hey, the Bible even tells us that there'll be many people that when they meet God, they're going to say, I did many miracles in your name. I preached in your name, O God. And he's going to say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I know you not. So just because you go through something or feel something or experience something does not mean it's real. Doesn't mean it's right. The way that you can know it's right and it's firm and it's from God is if, is it's if, is if it's in your Bible. That's the right way to say it. Why? Because the Bible is our only authority. If Pastor Phil gets up here and says something that's not contained in God's word, you might as well chunk it out the window. You believe in the Bible. But in order to do that, you have to know your Bible. See, there's nothing worse than an adult that acts like a child. Being mature doesn't mean that you never joke or uh, that you're serious all the time. But the opposite of maturity is a person that complains. They run from their responsibility. They want people to wait on them hand and foot. They throw temper tantrums when they don't get their way. See, that's what a spiritual baby looks like. 
And the apostle says, God has so much that he wants to do with you. And he has so much that is waiting on you. But you've got to grow up and grow into it. We looked at verse 14 and 15. And let's go back to verse 1 now. And we can look and see what a grown adult looks like. What a mature Christian looks like. Verse 1, Paul speaking, he says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Paul says that we need to walk in a way that is worthy of what God has called us for. In this next verse, he begins to flesh that out and spell that out, what that means in verse 2. How do we walk worthy? It says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another. Another word that's used in a different version is forbearing one another eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So the first thing that Paul describes here when he says, walk worthy of your calling, he says that we need to be humble. Now, there's a common misconception. Being humble doesn't mean you think less of yourself or that you think you're no good. It's not that you put yourself down. No, it's not thinking of yourself at all. See, sometimes we walk around and say, I'm the worst, I'm no good, I have no talent, and we think we're being humble, but that's not true. Why? Because you're still thinking about yourself, and you're still being self-centered. But a person that thinks about others first, and they put other people to the front of the line, that's a person that is being humble, not putting yourself first. Next, he says we need to forbear one another, or the way it says it here is bearing with one another in love. That's a very interesting uh, word there that's used in the Greek, bearing with one another. It means this, literally. It means to breathe out your nose. It's kind of weird, right? Bearing with one another means to breathe out your nose. How many of you have ever had your mom breathe out her nose at you, right? Like this. I don't know about you, but my mom has done that hundreds of times. What it means is being patient with someone when they make mistakes. What it means is to be uh, with someone and to stand by someone when they're being annoying, when when they're hard to handle. The Bible here says we need to bear with one another in love, giving people second chances, even when they don't deserve it. And last, it says we need to endeavor to keep the unity bonded together with peace. I love that part of the verse because it says that word endeavor. That's a purposeful word. you got to set out to keep the unity. Why? Because unity does not happen on accident. So in order to honor God's calling that he's called us to, we must be humble, patient with each other, and we must fight for unity. Why? Because our flesh and the devil wants to tear us apart. It wants to break this church down. As soon as people begin to get uh, being saved and baptized, join the church, growing in their Christianity, that's when the devil's going to come around and try and split us up. He's going to try and make something happen between us to where we can get angry at each other. But we must put our ego to the side, and we must love each other enough to look past our quirks and look past our annoyances, and we must fight for unity. Christ died for this body of believers. He died so that we may have this thing called the church. So shouldn't we do what it takes to get along with each other? 
not just tolerate each other, but actually love each other and encourage each other, seeking out the needs of each other, those around us, and trying to fill those needs. That's a hard thing for us to remember to do. It's a hard thing for me to remember to do. When I come in here on a Sunday morning, I can be on autopilot, just doing my thing and going to the same old people over and over and over again instead of looking for people to encourage, looking for people to pat on the back and to notice them and to recognize them. Are you ready for a hard question? How many people would still be here at Clarksburg Baptist Church if we took the time to let them know that we wanted them here? How many people would still be in these seats if we had taken that extra step to just say, hey, I'm so glad you're here. Hey, you want to go out to lunch after church? Hey, let me go get you a cup of coffee. Let's sit down. Let me hear your story for a few minutes. How many people would still be here if we took the time to show them that we wanted them here? Now, it also needs to be more than just on Sunday mornings. We ought to be reaching out to each other during the week, hanging out with each other, bringing outsiders in. See, for the amount that unity is talked about in the New Testament, it doesn't get preached on near enough. Verse 4 goes on with the same theme. It says, There is one body, one spirit, and just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. If you want to know the most important things in the Christian life, here's your list. There's one God, one Father, one baptism. All these things, this is what should be the forefront of our mind. And what does that mean? That means these are the things that we should talk about the most. See, what you talk about the most are the things that you care about the most. There's one God, one faith, one baptism, one spirit. And he's over all. And he's through all. Verse 7 goes on. It says, but grace was given to each one of us. How was grace given to each one of us? According to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives. And look at this last part. It says, he gave gifts to men. See, spiritually, uh, spiritual gifts are given to each Christian to build up the body of Christ. And who is the body of Christ? Look over at the person next to you, behind you. The people in this room are the body of Christ. And we are given these gifts in order to give them. See, gifts are made to be given. And God gave you gifts to give and to build up the church. We took a spiritual gift test uh, a few weeks ago, and if you haven't done one, we've got some available over here on the front row. And hopefully that gave you insight on where you should be serving and what gifts you have. See, your gifts are made to be given. Verse 11, it says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. What did he give them for? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Here it says that some people are gifted at teaching and witnessing and preaching, and those gifts are to be used in the local church. But these gifts listed here are not the only gifts. Some people are gifted at giving. Some are gifted at showing mercy. Some are gifted at serving. Some are gifted at being a comforter. Here's a real simple test. You ready? This is the most simple spiritual gift test that you'll ever see. I think we've got it up here on the screen. What are you good at? What abilities do you have? 
What are you passionate about? What is your affinity? What do you have an affinity for? And what do other people affirm in you that God has gifted you with? Super simple. What abilities you have? What are you passionate about? And what are the things that other people say, hey, that is a gift that you have? And if you don't know, you can go out and ask somebody, you think I have this gift? And why is that important? That last part's very important because you might have a passion to sing, but if you sound like a dying cat, your spiritual gift is not to be on the worship team. Can I get an amen, Andy? Back there hiding. Hey, we need to figure out what our abilities are, what our passions are, and what other people affirm in us. And hopefully you have people around you in the church that love you enough to not let you do something that is out of your gifting. Now, on the other hand, you may not even know it, but you may have been gifted at working with children, and you may not even realize it until someone one day says, hey, you should try out working in the kids' church. And you begin to think, well, man, I, I didn't even know I might even have a, a gift in that area. Well, maybe that, I, I think I might like that. See, it's not rocket science. God puts these gifts in you, and he puts these desires in us. And we follow those passions. Now, on the flip side of that, we must protect these gifts as well. Why? Because they can be fragile. Sometimes people will ask so much of us and we will continue to say yes. And the things that we were once passionate about, we no longer are passionate about because we're running ourselves to death. So be careful and prayerful about what you say yes to. The first church that I worked in, I was an associate pastor. I was the kids' church uh, pastor, I was the youth pastor, I was the choir director, I was a congregational sing, singing person, I was in charge of the ushers, I was in charge of the senior ministry, and it was too much. You know why I had all those things? Because I said yes to them. I had an opportunity to say, I think that would be too much. I don't know if I can handle all that. Every single service, I was doing uh, something and I was working. You need to be careful about what you say yes to. Now, a lot of us don't have that problem because we haven't stepped up, but as soon as you do step up, people are going to say, hey, they got some talent, man. Hey, they can really handle They're dependable. Let me ask them to do something. I'm going to ask them to do something. You'll see it over and over in the church. In the last youth group I worked in, I would uh, get these teenagers that had been in my youth group for five years, and they'd be 20, like Josh was for at a time, 20, 22, and they'd be working in my youth ministry. All of a sudden, now the children's ministry wants to use them as the children's church director. That's what Josh was. What are you doing? Those are mine. You can't have them, right? No, but that's the purpose here. As soon as people realize that you have gifts, other people are going to ask you, but you need to be careful about what you say yes to. But here's the most important thing is you need to find your spiritual gifts and use them. Don't waste them. You can look around here and you see people that are doing a lot. That's because those of us that have talent that are sitting on it aren't doing our part. We're not doing what we need to do. Someone once said the statistic that 20% of the people do 100% of the work in the church. And I don't know if that's actually factual, but I do know this, that in many churches there are people that are doing way more than they need to be doing because other people are sitting on the gifts and talents that they have. Even if this church doesn't have a ministry where, that uses your spiritual gifts, hey, that does not exempt you from using your gifts. If your passion and gift is with unwed mothers, find a way to use it. 
So let's go back and look at verse 11 and 12. It says, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to do what? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. See, the job of pastor is to equip the saints to do the ministry. See, it's, it's wrong actually to say that because I'm a pastor that I'm in the ministry. No, but God has called us all to do ministry. So I, you should have just as much responsibility as I do to do the ministry at Clarksburg Baptist Church. It's my gift, and God has called me to do my best to equip the saints to do the ministry. And that's a huge responsibility. But the point is, is the saints do the ministry. The Bible shows us that 39 of the 40 of the uh, miracles in the book of Acts happened outside the walls of the church. And that's important. Why? It's because the work of the ministry should primarily happen outside these walls, through you. And here's where you're, you're equipped. And then you go out and do the ministry. See, the reason that we have visitors come to hear the gospel is because you invite them. You're the reason that we ended up packing over 220 Operation Christmas boxes. You're the reason that we raised over $25,000 to empower people to rise above poverty through the world market. You're the reason that we brought in over $17,000 to bring clean water and the gospel to Indonesia. When you move, God moves. Don't ever think anything around here happens because of me or the staff. It's when you get involved is when things are successful. Last night, Janet texted me and said, hey, did you hear about uh, the women's evening life group? They fed the mission, 35 people. I had no idea. I didn't even know what was happening. But these women stepped up and they said, hey, we want to do something. We don't care if anybody up on the church stage ever mentions it or we ever get any recognition or anything like that. We see a need and we want to fill the need. And when we multiply that type of action over and over and over and over again, we will see revival in Clarksburg. Hey, when you say, I have a gift and I can use that gift, I don't care if it's ever on the church calendar, I'm going to use it and I'm going to step up and I'm going to do it. Hey, that's when things get big. If you rely on Pastor Phil to change this town, we're all in trouble. If you rely on me to bring something to this church and to grow this church, it's not going to happen. Hey, what, when it will happen is when you get involved. And when you say, hey, this is my church and this is my responsibility and I'm going to step up and do the ministry. See, the church is important, but the mission is outside these walls. God moves here when you move. This is just a runway. This is just a refueling station. It's through you using your gifts in the community. That's where ministry really happens. J.D. Greer uses the example of a football team. Imagine if on Saturday, WVU comes together and they huddle up, right? And Greer's not there because his finger fell off. <laughs> it's nuts. Hey, look, I dislocated my pinky a couple weeks ago. You don't see me crying. Come on, get back in the game. Seriously, they huddle up, right? Greer calls the play. He says, okay, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. And they're all like, man, that's an awesome play. I love that play. That play is amazing. Break. And the whole team goes, and they sit down on the bench. All right, 
Next play. Huddle up. Oh, yeah, that's an awesome play. I love that play. Man, that play really touched me. Man, that play gave me goosebumps. Amen. That's an awesome play. Break. Eventually, you're going to be screaming at the TV screen saying, run the play. It's not enough just to say, that's awesome. I agree. Eventually, we have to run the play. And this is what happens on churches all over. People clap. People say amen. They pat, they pat the preacher on the back. What a great sermon. And then they go back to the bench until the next Sunday. And Paul is saying in this passage, run the play. Grow up. Grow into these things. Walk worthy. Do the work that you are called to do. Use your gifts. It's not enough to agree. You must take action. And if you have something in the church that you're passionate about, and you say, I wish our church had something that did this, that is God moving in you to do something. Follow that. Churches also have their fair share of armchair quarterbacks. They sit back and tell everyone how they would have done it and how it could have been done better another way. And most of the time it's the fact because they're not doing that much themselves, so they have a lot of time to critique other people and how they're doing things. This Thursday there's going to be a lot of overweight, middle-aged men sitting on couches, eating mashed potatoes, yelling at a screen, telling superstar athletes how they would have ran the play. It's ironic, right? I'm going to be one of them. <laughs> but we as a church need to get off the bench and run the plays. Do the work that you're called to do. Use your gifts. Why? Because this is just the huddle. The play is run in the community. Hey, this, this building we're in right now isn't the church. You are the church. And the church goes where you go. And there ought to be a church on just about every street in this town. Why? Because we've got members that live just about every street in this town. And it ought to be a light. Your house ought to be a place where people could come and say, hey, I need you to pray for me. Hey, how do I know about Jesus? Hey, why do you care so much about helping that lady with the trash she needs to get out because she's disabled? We are the church. And whether things are on the calendar or not, we ought to be doing it in the community. We, need, we read this verse at the beginning, verse 14 and 15. It says, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Hey, we're supposed to be growing up into people and Christians that look like Christ. You are an ambassador. A lot of people take the stance that, well, I'm just here for a little while. Heaven's calling. I'm just going to sit back and let the world do what it's going to do. I can't change it. But that's not a person that's an ambassador. That's a tourist, right? I'm just going to go check out what, what's going on. But the Bible calls us to be an ambassador. That means you represent God in your community. When people look at you, they ought to see Jesus Christ. Growing up is not knowing what to do, but actually doing it. The length of time that you have been a Christian has nothing to do with your spiritual maturity. It's how much are you producing the fruits of the Spirit. 
love, joy, peace. How much are you growing into looking like Christ? So get in the game. Stop complaining about what others are or aren't doing. Stop criticizing everyone that is doing something. Stop sitting on the sidelines and use your gifts. Do the work. Run the play. Walk worthy of your calling. Why? Because there has to be an urgency about us. Our life is very short. I once heard it said that life is like a roll of toilet paper. The closer you get to the end, the faster it rolls. And your life's never going to slow down. You're never going to have any more time than you have right now. And now is the only moment that we can change. Let's stand to our feet and bow our heads and close our eyes. Worship team's going to come. Enter our time of meditation, our time of, of reflection. God, where do I need to grow up? God, what gifts do I not even know I have yet, but you have given me? Maybe you need to come down today and pray and ask God to reveal what your gifts are. Maybe to pray that God would help you to grow up and grow into what God has for you. Maybe you need to ask God to help you to use the gifts that you already have. Even if the church doesn't have a ministry to fit your gifts, why? Because this is just the huddle. Real, real ministry is done on the streets. It's done in your neighborhood. That is where God has called us to. Christianity is not about just coming in here and raising your hand during worship, sitting through a 30-minute sermon, and then going home and going back to your normal life. God has called us to so much more. God has called us to grow up, to walk worthy, and to run the place. With your head bowed and eyes closed, the altar's open this morning. If God moved in your heart, you come down today and seal that. God, I dedicate my life. God, I pray you reveal. God, I, re I surrender to whatever you would have me to do. I believe that God has something big for our church. But the only way that ever happens, the only way that ever comes about is if we have people step up and step in and to fill in and to relieve some of these people that are doing so much. First, you need to know where you're gifted at. I want you to pray right now. God, please show me what you have me to do at Clarksburg Baptist Church. God, whatever you show me, I'm going to do it. I'm going to be willing, even if I'm scared, even if I feel like that's above me, above my gifting. God, I, I will step out on faith, and I'll believe that you will grow me into where you have me to be. Maybe you're here today and you're not sure that if you died, that heaven would be your home. Maybe you're not sure that you even have a relationship with Jesus Christ. We talked about growing up into what God has called for us. But maybe you're not even a child of God this morning. Well, how do you know that? You've got to be able to go back to a time and a place, a moment in your life where you called out to God.
You knew you were a sinner. And you knew because of your sin that God couldn't allow you into heaven. And you put your full faith and trust in only what Jesus did on the cross as your only means to salvation. See, Jesus was a real man that walked this planet 2,000 years ago. And every credible historian will tell you that. The Bible calls him Emmanuel, God with us. See, we had a broken problem in this world. And that broken problem was called sin. Because of sin, we could not get to God, but God came to us. Jesus was his name. He lived a perfect and a holy life for 33 years, and he laid down his life. He surrendered his life to be in your place, and he took the punishment that you deserved. The Bible calls it a gift. God is offering that gift to you today. You can call out to God with something like this. Words aren't important. It's not a magic prayer. It's about the posture of your heart. Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know because of my sin that I deserve hell. Please forgive me. I'm turning from my sin and I'm turning to you. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. The Bible calls this salvation. It's a one-time event in your life where you put your faith in Jesus Christ. And once you're saved, you don't have to ask for forgiveness every single time that you sin and, and, and be scared that you might be going to hell. The Bible says he gives us eternal life in both directions. And that goes on forever. The Bible says no man can pluck us out of God's hand. If you called out to God today and you're not ashamed of what you did, if you called out and asked him to save you for the first time, or maybe just the first time you really understood it, you slip your hand up, I just want to pray for you. I don't, I'm not going to come to you. I'm not going to call you up on the stage or anything like that. You slip your hand up and you say, that's me today. I called out to God and I chose Jesus today. Amen. I want to invite you, if you made that decision today, to fill out on your connection card. There's a little place on the bottom that you can write. You say, I chose Jesus today. I want to talk to you about that. I want to reach out to you. Just write that down on the bottom. The altar's open this morning as we sing. God moves in your heart. You come down and pray. Pray.